share something with you. Um, when I partake of the Lord's table, I always reflect back on the last 30 days, and usually on the last few months and all the rest of it, and ask my king, where am I? Um, have I grown? Have I stumbled? And, um, and it always draws you back to, to the mercy that you have at Calvary. And as I was sitting there preparing for the Lord's table, it dawned on me, I've been sort of a little busy these last few weeks, so my, certain things kind of escaped me. But it dawned on me that 16 years ago, the first Sunday in June, I took the pulpit of this church. So this would be my 16th anniversary. And so I asked him, have I grown at all in 16 years? And all I got was crickets. <laughs> Does that mean? I'm going to pray. We're going to read the first three verses. And then we're going to finish up exposition of the importance of love. Father, help us to hear. Father, we who are not of natural man, but we are men and women, the spirit of the living God. We draw to you this time. Father, I am in awe of this text, and Lord, I know that I have absolutely no ability to, to make any impact with this. And yet, Father, when I look at what you've laid out in just these three verses, how could any man say the Bible was not written by God? Father, help us to hear. Help us be overwhelmed. And may your Spirit show us the true privilege of what we have what we already possess. And Father, may we decrease as you increase. Draw to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we are told from your holy word, let us be known by our love for one another. In Christ's name, amen. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. This is an amazing text, really especially where it drops in. And this is one of the things that I try to share with people whenever I, I hear people saying, I'm going to go through a study of spiritual gifts or I'm trying to figure out what my gifts are or all the rest of it. And we, we will grab a hold of chapter 12 and we'll grab a hold of chapter 14 and we'll bounce around in 12 of Romans and we'll grab a hold of a little something out of Peter and we'll try to mix it up. And the problem is you drop 13 because 13 is right in the middle of what? Spiritual gifts. And basically what he's saying is, I don't care how gifted you are. If you've got love, you haven't got love, you're nothing. You're a zero. You're zip. You're nada. That sounds awful to me. I'm, you know, that's just the way I look at it. It just seems strange because this church was gifted. Chapter one says you are lacking in no gift. Divine enabling had been poured upon these people in a way that they lacked nothing. They had an impact in a community that was awful awful 
And yet, what had happened? Well, you had some who liked to run around and say, I'm of Paul. You had some who run around and say, I'm of Paulus. And some said, well, you know, I'm running around with of Cephas, which would be the people of Peter. And then you had the really, really spiritual ones. They said, I'm of Christ. You had people were coming together at feasts. And the rich people who did not have to work, they would come in with the good food. They would eat first. So when the poor people who were coming out of the slaves or out of the work that came in late, they didn't have anything. They were saying, if you were single, you're more spiritual. And if you were married, you were more spiritual. They were suing each other in court. Paul, right in the middle of this thing, just drops this huge bomb and says, let me tell you something. You like no gift, but you're zero. You're noisy. You're clanging. He says here, if you have languages of men, that's the best translation. It's not gibberish. Why? Acts 2 says they were speaking in their language. Okay? If you have languages of all men, you know every dialect that exists on the planet and you do not exercise it in love, you're noisy. He says you can even speak angel talk. If you can even speak angel talk and you have not love, you're noisy. Last week we looked at it and said, or two weeks ago we looked at it and said, if we have prophecy, and I showed you two prophets, two prophets given messages from God, for God. One did not love the people, one did love the people. Jeremiah says, how can we be saved? Let me tell you something, he's crying and weeping over Israel. But he identified with the people. Then you have Balaam. Balaam prophesied Messiah. But he did not love the people. He had a job. He had a vocation. You can be the best preacher the world ever seen. If you have no love, you are zero, zip, nada. Last week we looked at mysteries and knowledge. The word mystery is never used cavalier in Scripture. It always speaks of divine redemption. Always. God's redemptive plan. Please, too many people are teaching this text right now saying that mysteries means that God's hiding some things and if you don't come to me, you ain't going to get it. That ain't what it means. It means it's been hidden, but now it's been revealed. Why? To the fools. To the fools. I will take the fools to confound the wise. I will take the weak to overthrow the strong. We've already looked at all that. And he says the mystery is now revealed. It is the mystery of redemption. And he says, you know what? If you know all mysteries, you know what that implies there? I know every single person who has ever going to be saved. I know every one of them. I know them all. I know exactly what God's going to do, the conclusion of the age, what heaven's going to be like. I know it all. And then you have knowledge. Knowledge is gnosis. It's grabbing at the stuff. I know how many grains of sand there are on the moon. Every single one of them. I know exactly the number of stars. Why? God has given it to me. If you have all of that and you have not love, you're nothing. 
In God's economy, if you can speak every dialect, in God's economy, you can even commune with the angels. In God's economy, if you have all mysteries, you know everything that God's doing exactly as God's planned it, and you have all knowledge, meaning that you know exactly every bit of information that can be ascertained, and you have not love, you're nothing. You're nothing. God could care less. God could care less. And this is very difficult. This is extremely difficult. Why? Because we, Ephesians 4.15 says, we have been called to do what? Teach the truth in love. And I see people get heavy on truth. And you know what? It is all truth and I don't see no love. Then I see other people over here who got all this love and they got no truth. And you can't really love if you're not protecting the people. And, and you know, and people, people think that I get accused of, you just like confrontation. No, I will never compromise truth, ever. Never will I compromise truth. And you can, you can call me the most unloving person in the world, but you know what? If I truly love you, I am not going to compromise truth. We got to get a hold of this, brothers and sisters, because see, you and I walk out of here. I guarantee you right now, I can almost get a different definition for love from every one of you. And that ain't the definition. It's either agapon, the noun, or agape, or agape, the noun, or agapon, the verb. What is it? It means that I love selflessly without any concern for the response. You know, it's like the Apostle Paul, his last letter to the every road, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. You know what that means? There's nothing left. There's absolutely nothing left. Poured out. Well, what if, you know, when I look at him, I look at Paul's life, the only church that seemed like it ever had early success is the one he wasn't at very long. I don't understand that. So I don't know what I'm doing here for 16 years. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? You look at the heart of the Apostle Paul. When I first started studying the scriptures, I kept saying, man, that guy is harsh. But then I read through Thessalonians. And he says, were we not like a father to you? And you just read that. Yeah, I know that. I'm, I'll knock a tar out of you. And, but he says, you know what? Were we not as tender as a nursing mother? Now, let me ask you a question. Is there any more tender a picture than that? There isn't. You want to see a man who had love, who was it? Paul. But Paul was also smart enough to say, foolish Galatians, who in the world has bewitched you? Are you so moronic that you believe what you started in the spirit, you're perfecting now in the flesh? I don't sound loving. Sure it does. Church in Revelations chapter 2. Evangelistic church. Good, solid doctrine. Fundamentalist. Conservative. Reaching the community. They had the bells. They had the whistles. They had everything. And Jesus says, I got this against you. You've lost your first love. You know what? That church doesn't exist today. It's gone. You can go see the ruins. How important is love? How important is it? Well, John says, you know what? You're going to know them by the big buildings. Contemporary blended worship. What do they got? No, you will know them by their love for one another. It is superior. You know, and I, I, it's like, have you ever seen a Ph.D. in love? I've never seen a Ph.D. in love. And yet, what is the most important thing in the world? 
1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he says, you know what? Knowledge will only build up pride. Love will build you up. I concluded last week with these thoughts. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, 29 says, we admonish, teach each man what? To present every man complete in Christ. Why? Through, the, through knowledge, chapter, or Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. It's true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm not against knowledge. I'm not, I'm not saying let's go out and um, be a bunch of loving dummies. But the truth of the matter is, is there's a balance. And I asked you guys to pray for me several weeks ago that, that I should have truth and love. I will not compromise truth. I will not compromise truth. And I will not let you define to me what love is. I will let God define to me what love is. Okay? Look at verse 2 now. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains and do not have love, what are you? Nothing. Okay? Listen... I've, I've watched this text go in a lot of different directions, um, and I'm not sure why, but it does. Okay, the focus on the text, 12, 13, and 14, is what? Gifts. Gifts. The interdependence of the body of Christ and, the, and then the supernatural enabling that comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. So is this faith that gets me to salvation or what? Well, I believe, if you keep your context, that it's... The gift of faith. Okay, the gift of faith is, is something that I have been blessed to have men in my life who have it. And I stand in awe of it because I know it's supernatural because these people can't do this. Okay, I, I, I would almost call it it's the gift of prayer. Because that's what they do. They go to God and they, it's, I don't care what's going on around them. I'm trusting the Lord for it. Well, but don't you understand? No, I'm just rock solid. It's the kind of faith that you see expressed in prayer that goes and begs at the throne of God for the re- release of God's power. That's what it is. And, and I've been blessed uh, numerous times. Um, I had, um, many of you remember Ed uh, Ed Young, he was the best man in my wedding. Uh, last year he went, his faith became sight. And um, he was a warrior. He had the gift. And when I lost that gift, I was sitting there going, well, this is kind of depressing. Because uh, I know I ain't got it. There's times I'll rattle the, I'll rattle the gates. But eventually I, I'm tired of that thing. <laughs> Nobody's home. Um and then God has brought another family into our fellowship that it would seem that it's been replaced. And uh, I am very grateful for that. But what is this faith thing? Um, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 20, He said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, truly I say to you, if you have faith the side of a mustard seed, and you say to this mountain, Move from here to there, it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I have watched that thing get butchered, and what happens is they're just coming out of a demoniac, a maniac, demon-possessed man. Okay, and um, Jesus says that one needs more prayer. Okay, and that's what he's saying. That's, what, that's the context of the flow of the text. And then I hear, well, if he do this, I'm, I'm almost positive, okay, that God is not trying to get us to start moving mountain ranges. 
And I'm, I'm almost sure that he ain't saying, well, let's just kind of make the Rockies be in Salina, Kansas. Okay, and, 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 and that ain't the issue here. The issue here is, what do you believe? Yeah, I, I was in my Sunday school class this morning, I was sharing out of uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And, and we, we, we read that, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but life I live, I live in, the son of, in Christ, the Son of Man who died for me. Okay, and we sit there and we read that. You know what? That is the worst text for a teacher to ever teach. You know why? I can give you the syntax of it. I can give you the Greek of it. I can tell you how it's parsed. I can tell you the theology behind it. I can tell you exactly how the thing looks and what it does. And you know what? I can't make you do it. And you know what? You can't. You can't do it. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, you're dead. The life you live is Christ. Okay, go do that. Just go. It's right there. It can't be that hard. You know, uh, my friend told me, he says, this text has, you can't teach this text. You have to catch this text. What? Sit down. I didn't understand. And then after 16 years of being a preacher, I got it. You got to catch that text. Why? You ain't going to get them to do it. I guarantee it. I don't care what your devotional life is. I don't care what your prayer journal looks like. I don't care how many Bible studies. I don't care what college you've been through. I don't care what you do. You can't do it. You can't do it. So what do you do? I step into that in faith. In faith. Some have the gift of faith, and it's the ability to believe God continually without giving up. When the rest have bailed out. Listen, I don't want anybody to raise your hand, but anytime, any of you ever questioned God? Wondered? Okay. Has anybody here, anybody here doubted the validity of salvation? Is it real? Is this a real thing? I've seen people with the gift of faith and never doubted it once. Never questioned it, never was concerned. They just kept cruising and cruising and cruising. And I mean, it looked like they were proverbially in a state of hell. And I kept thinking, how in the world can you keep walking like that? I watched my brother, Ed, a year ago, had to go in and have this, was going to do this thing on his lung. And they said, you know what? As bad as you are right now, you may never come out of this thing. This could be the thing that kills you. And it was me and his wife. His wife is not saved. And I have never seen a man pray more passionately for a person's salvation than Ed prayed for his wife's salvation. And he called me in there and he says, well, we're going to go do this. And I said, that's cool. And he looked at me and he says, you know my passion for my wife's salvation? She said, there, just the three of us. He says, you know my passion for my wife's salvation? I said, absolutely, I do. He says, but I tell you this, if I cannot come back and serve the body of Christ in the capacity that I already am, I pray that he will take me home. Your wife ain't saved, Ed. She still ain't saved. How do you do that? It's a gift of faith. Why? Not my will, but yours be done. 
We have that little thing that we like to throw out there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Do you really want the next part? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can all sit here. It's Sunday morning. Happy. Yep, yep. I want that. Really? Are you sure? But there are people with the gift of faith who say, yeah, absolutely. I am praying and asking him to do it. Period. Non-question. Doesn't even waver. Those people drive me nuts. But I am so thankful that they're there. Why? Because I can call them up and say, I need you to get on your knees on this one. They go through every trial, every test, every tumultuous event that exists on the planet of earth, and they're like a rock. Like a rock. The rest of us are pulling out of our hair. God left. I missed the second coming in the whole nine yards, and I think maybe we are in hell. They stand confident. They're pure in their confidence, and they understand that God's power will be released. And they'll all sit there and smile and gather at what God has just done. It's those who pray and pray and pray. It's those who pray without ceasing. They don't have to be told to pray without ceasing. It's a kind of trust in God which never gives up. It's uninterrupted trust. It never stops. I've seen it. They maintain a vital contact with God. Always awaiting His release. Even when we bail out or even when we throw our system at it. Hey, if I do this or I do that. I see people take that text out of context out of Matthew 17. They were missing chapter 16. They missed chapter 18. Uh, he ain't talking about let's, true Christians just run around and move mountains. It takes me to a text that I, I want to reiterate this with. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain. You will bring forth this top stone and shouts grace, grace to it. What is that? It's the power of God. Power of God released. When I have the power of God, what mountain can stand in front of me? What? Let me try it this way. At the writing of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, mountains were an extremely massive obstacle. It wasn't like, well, I'll just get in the plane and fly over the bugger. Or didn't you know we drug, drilled a tunnel through it? We'll just go under it. No, you looked at a mountain and you had to say, what the heck? I could never understand why everybody kept circling north and coming down the, the western side of Israel to fight. And then I went to Israel and said, yeah, I make sense. You don't want to go across a desert and a huge bunch of mountains. Go where it's all green and yeah, I can see that. The ability to believe God to do the things that most people won't hold on to. And they hold on to God and say, what's what happens? Okay, now think about your text. If I have all faith, you never ever have doubted. You just believe God. Every instant of every moment of every second. 
Never have a bit of doubt. You've never questioned any of it. You are more than just like a rock. You run right out to the limits of faith. So nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible for you. Nothing has ever been brought into question in your mind. Nothing has ever caused you doubt. You have never wondered. You have never questioned God. That's pretty good, huh? If you do not have love, you're nothing. You're nothing. Means absolutely nothing. Let me tell you something. I read through back back to your text. I read through that, man, and I just look at that and say, you know what, Paul is just flat out knocking everybody out. Everybody's getting clobbered. He don't care what your gift is. It could be an experiential gift. It can be a quiet gift. It could be a showy gift. It can be this powerful gift. It can be anything and everything you want to call it. And guess what happens? Zero zip naughty. You have nothing. You have been nothing. You accomplish nothing. So basically... It doesn't matter what your gift is. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what your calling is. It doesn't matter what you believe you're accomplishing in the body of Christ. Remember when John the Baptist, my friend John Hartwell, come up. Uh, Al was there. Joe Sedbury was sitting there. This guy's a great big truck driver guy. He ain't got no neck. He's just a great big huge man. And he come up and puts his arm around both of my elders. And he pokes them like that and says, And what is your purpose in the body of Christ? And I thought both of them were going to die right there, but that's all right. <laughs> but, but I watched that and I sat there and I sat there. You know what? Every single one of you in this building today have a purpose in the body of Christ. God has preordained it. He's already gifted you for it. He's plugged you into it. And you will take that little gift, whatever your position, and you will help bring the portrait of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's the church. And you know what? If you do that without love, it means absolutely nothing. We looked at it already. Each of us build in the body of Christ. Some of us with gold, silver, precious stone. Some of us with wood, hay, stubble. Still in the body of Christ, right? How many in the body of Christ do you believe today are going to walk up and when they see Jesus Christ face to face before his judgment seat, they're going to hold out their hands and they're going to have a handful of ash. Have a handful of ash. It was wood, hay, and stubble. Why? There was no love behind it. You can be... You know what? It's amazing in this text because Paul says, I don't care how eloquent you are. He says, I don't even care what the volume of your knowledge is. He says, I don't even care what your beliefs are. You could be a celebrated Christian. You could be a theologian. You could be a missionary. You can be a pastor, teacher. You can be an author. You can be a scholar. If you do not have a copy of God as the driving force of your life, you're nothing. You're nothing. And, and you know, if he stopped right there, I'm thinking he's got it pretty much covered. But the tragedy is he doesn't stop right there. He says, I don't want to make sure you don't get off of this hook. Look at verse 3. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, if I have charity, I volunteer for the Red Cross. I give to goodwill. Now what he's doing, he's going to give you the flip side of this. He showed you the gift side of it. He said, you can have all the gifts in the world. And I tell you what, if you don't have love, you got nothing. He says, now I'm going to go to the flip side. Okay, understanding love is what? Self-sacrificing. So what does he say here? I give all my possessions to feed the poor. 
So what's he dealing with? I'm self-sacrificing. I'm giving all my possessions. Okay, let me tell you something. Love is self-sacrificing, but not all self-sacrificing is necessarily love. Did you get that? Love is self-sacrificing, but not all self-sacrificing is love. I know a lot of Mormons that make sacrifice. I know a lot of Buddhists who will set themselves on fire for the cause of whatever. I know Muslims who will blow themselves up in a crowd claiming it was because of their love for Allah. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of strange things that religions will do. But let me tell you one thing emphatically. Know this. If you don't get anything out of this message, it is not done out of love. It's done out of fear. It's done out of self-righteousness. We can do a lot of things for a lot of reason. But love is self-sacrificing. See, Paul flips this thing over and he says, you know what? Self-sacrifice is not necessarily love. Make sure all of you in court, make sure all of you in the church today. He even makes it here. He says, you can even give your body over. But if you're not doing it in the, on the motive, the divine motive of the divine power of love, it's nothing. The word here that you see, if I give my possessions, it literally means uh, to feed every morsel. Um, how do I explain this? It literally means I'm taking personally and giving every piece of my possession bit by bit to those who come into my life who are in need. I see people who will say, well, this sounds like a worthy need and I'll write you out a check and they give it. And they're not really involved with it. This text says the, you are really literally involved that you're giving away each little bit of your possession, one possession at a time to meet the needs of the needy. You're just right there, right there, right there, right there. And if you do that and you do not have love, you're nothing. It profits you absolutely nothing. Giving it away literally, a fortune, one morsel at a time. It profits you nothing. Individually involved. You know what? I see people do this out of legalism. I see people do this out of wanting recognition. Uh, you, know, you don't think so? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You know what? And it means nothing. Why do people go to church? Why do people give to a church? Are they obligated? Well, in this country, it's a good tax benefit. How many do it because they want God's favor? How many do it because they want to pacify their conscience? How many want to do it because they kind of had a sinful week? How many do it because of peer pressure? How many do it with business advantage? You know what? Any of those reasons, you get zero. It profits you nothing. There's no benefit in it. The only motive for giving is love. Doesn't matter how often. Doesn't matter how much. You just give it in love. I mean, you know, I, the Pharisees used to even give a tenth of their seeds. There's the people's got free time. I mean, I'm going to count. I got 10 seeds here. 10. Here's one for Jesus. But you know what? I know people who do that. 
The phrase he lives here, if I surrender my body to be burned, there's a lot of confusion and speculation on what does it mean. Does it mean to be burned? Does it mean to be given over to a slavery? Um, I would look at it and say, yeah. <laughs> okay. Slave burned at the stake. Life burned at the stake. What does it mean? I give myself over physically to some point of martyrdom. Whether it is becoming a slave, I will become a slave, or whether it is becoming burned at the stake. If you do it without love, what does it say that the prophet is? Prophet, it's nothing. Has no benefit. Many Christians in the early church, believe it or not, um, and even some today strive to be famous through martyrdom. Martyrdom. And we do tout them, don't we? Did anybody know what Elizabeth Elliot's husband's name was? Weird, isn't it? How come we know what her name was, but it was her husband who was killed? But we do it. We see people who get martyred and we think, wow, man. You know, right now, on the planet Earth, there are more Christians dying for the faith than any time in history. And you know what? I don't know a whole bunch of them's names. I see people who do it this way because they want their deeds to look sacrificial. And underneath it, it's pride. So why don't you think about this for a second. When you walk out of this place, how important is love? Well, if you can speak in all languages of men and even the language of the angelic host and you have not love, you're just noisy. If you have all knowledge and all wisdom, if you are giving of every earthly possession you have and you even go to be a martyr, it doesn't mean a thing without love. Verse 1, the loveless person, loveless person produces noise. Verse 2, the loveless person is himself of no value. Verse 3, the loveless person receives nothing of value. Life minus love, zero. How important is this? Anybody visited the church in Corinth? Doesn't exist. It's gone. Why? How about the church in Ephesus? It's gone. What about us? Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, understanding that your love has been poured upon our heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, we have no ability to love this way. I know that. Many here know that.
And yet, Father, you call us to it. You call us to walk as you, your son walked. And he did it for love. Paul tells us that love compels us. Father, help us. Help us to not be zeros. Help us not to have a handful of ash to lay before your throne. Father, help us be overwhelmed with the love of Jesus Christ who died for us to forgive us our sins. And that, Father, that the life we now live, we live in Christ. And let us live in the love that Christ has already given us. Father, overwhelm us with your presence. Overwhelm us with your purpose. But Lord, I beg you, overwhelm us with the privilege of being your children and the understanding of what an honor it truly is to your glory, to your praise, forever and ever and ever. Amen.